You're on EducateForLife.com radio with Kevin Conover. And if you listen long enough, your faith will become... I'm tired of being conned. Don't worry, the con is over, Shay. We're now at DEFCON 1. Did you say carnivore or carnivore? Would you like to have a conversation with Kevin? Then call 800-243-9719. And now, here's your host, Kevin Conover. Bring your time and bring your shame. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website is educateforlife.org. And not too long ago, I had the privilege to interview David Cobhedge, who worked for the Jet Propulsion Laboratory up in Pasadena for 15 years. He was a key part of the Cassini Cassini mission to Saturn. And uh, writing for ICR, David says, Many alive today have witnessed the entire history of space flight. Anyone who looked up to see Sputnik cross the sky on October 4th, 1957, remembers the panic that set in across the country. The thought of communists beating us to space was intolerable. American prestige sank to a new low when Vanguard, the Navy's attempt to launch a satellite into orbit on December 6th, blew up on the launch pad before the watching world. The turning point in the race came with America's first success, Explorer 1, on January 31st, 1958. My guest today was a key part of launching uh, Explorer 1, and January 31st, 2018, will be the 60th anniversary of Explorer 1. And my guest is Dr. Henry Richter. He was born in Long Beach, California. After serving in the Navy in World War II, he attended the California Institute of Technology in Pasadena, receiving a bachelor's in science, then a PhD in chemistry, physics, and electrical engineering. He was then hired at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, where he headed the project developing the first American satellite, Explorer 1, which was launched on January 31st, 1958. JPL then became part of NASA, and Dr. Richter oversaw Surveyor 1, which was the first satellite to land on the moon, June 2nd, 1966. And he's recently authored the book, The Universe, A Surprising Cosmological Accident, which uh, he is actually redoing with David Coppedge. And he's also the author of uh, uh, America's Leap Into Space. And that in that book, he talks about uh, his experience at JPL and uh, all that he went through dealing with uh, the space race and everything else. Now, he became a Christian uh, after age 40, and we're going to talk to him about that, about his testimony and how he came to know the Lord. And he ho- holds the view that the scientific evidence does not support the theory of evolution and that the evidence from space supports a biblical age of the earth also. And so um, we have lots to talk about here. And, uh, Thank you so much, Dr. Richter, for coming on the air today. Great to be here. Yeah, fantastic. Well, um, and you are, you turn 90 in June, is that right? Yes. Oh, that is amazing. So you have a long, exciting life. In several careers. Yeah, and you're still uh, taking classes. Yes. <laughs> Where's, where, where are you taking a class right now? Taking an online class from Caltech, the physics of the solar system. Wow, that's that's awesome. That, at 90 years old, you're still learning. Uh, that's pretty cool. Had two quizzes so far and passed both of them. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, that's interesting. When, you, when you're when you taking these science classes, 
you know, all the stuff that you learned going through school, have you seen a lot of changes from when you were young and going, going through school till, till today? Have there been a lot of advances in, in science that maybe you did or didn't expect? Oh, yes. And what are some of the big surprises that have, that you've seen where you're like, whoa, this well, is pretty neat. One of the first changes when I was in the Navy, I was an electronic technician, uh-huh. went through school and the mathematics changed drastically when I got to Caltech because the people in the Navy didn't really know that much about what they were teaching, but. Oh, okay. So. We won't let that get out too, too much there. Hopefully that's changed since then, right? Yes, I'm sure. Well, uh, so, so at what you're learning in the, about the physics of space today and everything, I mean, you're a committed Bible-believing Christian, isn't that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And so I'm excited to hear um, why you, you know, see science as uh, justifying the Bible or supporting what the Bible has to say. That's very exciting. And you wrote a book on that, so uh, very exciting stuff. Now, did you always have an interest in, in uh, space when you were growing up? Were you thinking to yourself, hey, I want to get involved in uh, space and send in satellites out into space and that sort of a thing? No, because nobody even thought such a thing was possible when I was growing up. Oh, yeah. So what was the thought back then? Well, I just wanted to be a scientist. I enjoyed chemistry and uh-huh. I was headed for a teaching career, but uh, I ended up at JPL and this uh, – they were firing rockets then, but still no thought of a satellite until I arrived at JPL. And then 1955, I was there, and the uh, scientific community started a program, massive program of exploring spacecraft Earth called the International Geophysical Year. Sixty-two nations were involved in this, and they were going to explore the core of the Earth, the subsurface, the mantle, atmosphere, near atmosphere, and it appeared possible at that point to launch a rocket that would not come back, called a satellite. Wow. Science had been launching lots of rockets in the years preceding. They'd go up a few hundred kilometers, grab a measurement, and fall back to the Earth. But And that was that just because they didn't have the power to escape the Earth's atmosphere? Exactly. Okay. And so... In so 19- what changed that? What... what- uh, technological advances enabled them to make rockets that could actually lo- leave the atmosphere. Well, bigger rockets. Okay. <laughs> so, and in 1955, two nations announced they would attempt to launch satellites, the United States and Russia, and that was the start of the space race. Yeah. So what was going through your mind at the time when you were, you know, you're on the cusp of uh, getting involved here and everything, and you're seeing what Russia is doing and everything. Uh, what, what were the thoughts going through your mind? Well, we didn't know what Russia was doing. They were very secretive and okay. quiet about it. But uh, this, the American satellite program started by the government doing what it typically does. It held a competition amongst the armed forces to see who would be the official satellite agency. And at JPL, we were in the rocket business. We were organizationally attached to Redstone Arsenal, headed by Werner von Braun, Okay, and um, and he is considered kind of the one of the the fathers of uh, space exploration. Yes, the father of large rockets. Okay, the, the V two rocket, which was a devastating weapon in World War Two, mm. and then he came to the United States and uh, certainly swore allegiance to the uh, to the U.S. He was interesting guy to work with, and he ultimately became a Christian too. Isn't that correct? That, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah, I read a a quick testimony about him um, where he says that uh, I guess somebody led him to Christ, an engineer, a co-worker, 
who with a Gideon Bible and uh, the quote I, I read up on was uh, he felt like a great burden had been lifted off of him uh, when he committed his life to Christ. And that's kind of a question I have for you too is um, did you grow up in a Christian family, a family that, um, you know, embraced Christ or, or when did you decide to follow Christ? Well, my family was not Christians. Uh, I, let me say during most of my life, I was a busy churchman. Okay. But I was not a Christian. Oh, well, that's an important distinction right there to talk about. Is, in fact, uh, the word Christian bothered me. Oh. Uh, I thought these were a bunch of kooks that deluded themselves into thinking, thing. I, I never doubted the presence of God. Yeah. Let me say that. As yeah. A, as a scientist, the universe is just too marvelous to have happened by accident. So to me, the, the universe has a design and the word design demands a designer. Mm. Now, would you say that today most scientists would look at the universe today and say, yeah, there's some sort of God out there. I may not be committed to Christianity, but um, but there's some sort of God out there. What do you, what do you think? I don't think so. No, you don't think so? Okay. No. Most scientists are self-centered and, and want to be the center of the universe themselves. Oh, okay. <laughs> Come up with all kinds of fairy tales like the Big Bang Theory, which I'm amused at. There's. We know there's about 10 to the 22nd stars. That's 10 with 22 zeros after them. That's a whole lot. More stars than there are grains of sand on the Earth. Now, that's that's impossible to even imagine. <laughs> and they say that started in a little sub-microscopic blip in a big bang, and it exploded, and everything came from that. To me, that's just... Seems ridiculous. Ludicrous. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I think from a common sense perspective, that seems... Absolutely outrageous. And I know that online now there's now a um, there's a, a group of scientists that have gotten together and basically poked all kinds of holes in the Big Bang Theory and said, this just doesn't work. It's impossible. We need to get rid of it. But people, for whatever reason, are holding tightly to that. My guest today is Dr. Henry Richter. Uh, he is he was born in Long Beach, California. And after serving in the Navy in World War Two, he eventually uh, graduated uh, with a degree in um uh, physics and electrical engineering and chemistry, a PhD. And then he was at JPL where he uh, became the supervisor, the head person to get America's first satellite into space. Pretty phenomenal. And we're coming up on the uh, 60th year anniversary of that event. So stay with us. We're going to be right back and continue this conversation with Dr. Richter. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. What do leading local restaurants have in common? They depend on Express Fix Coffee for new and used coffee and espresso machines, repairs, and affordable monthly service. Dave Martin and his local team provide water filtration services too. Call San Diego's best espresso repair company, serving your home and business. Learn more online at expressfixcoffee.com. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. 619-867-3853. 
How can you live in San Diego and miss out on enjoying the water? Fast Lane Kayaking sells popular Hobie Cat kayaks that you pedal, not paddle. That means your hands are left free for fishing and fun. Just throw these on your roof rack. They're light and they're easy to use and maintain. Just rinse them off. Try one free on a demo ride. For 36 years, Ron and Debbie Lane have served San Diego with fun, family-friendly water sports of all kinds. Learn more. FastLaneSailing.com. 619-222-0766. When you need tires or service, count on Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside for a full range of affordable options in all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers online. Hours Tuesday through Friday, 730 to 530, and Saturdays, 730 to 5. Call Dan and his team at 760-439-1631. Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard in Oceanside, 760-439-1631. I will cast Thanks for listening today. This is Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website's educateforlife.org. If you uh, didn't get to hear the first segment of our recording today, you can pick up a copy on my website or on YouTube or iTunes. And uh, very interesting stuff. We're coming up on the 60th anniversary of America's very first satellite going into space. That's up in uh, January 2018 uh, is the 60th anniversary. And my guest today is the gentleman who... Uh, headed that whole thing up, Dr. Henry Richter. He's uh, approaching his 90th birthday here in June of 2017 and uh, still going to college, still learning and still arguing for the truth of the Bible. So, um, Dr. Richter, you were saying that when you were you were a churchman, but you you did not consider yourself a Christian. In fact, you Christian, the name Christian bothered you. So what is the difference between a churchman and what you saw as a Christian? Can you explain that for our listeners? Well, a churchman is somebody that goes to church because that's the right thing to do. Mm. A Christian is one that's turned his life over to Christ and lets Christ run his life. And I was chairman of the board of one of the big name brand churches in Pasadena for three years in a row. And I used to tell my pastoral relations committee, as long as I'm running this church, you're not going to get a born-again type preacher in here. Wow. That's incredible. And that that's uh, astonishing to me um that uh, you could be going to church for so long and yet you you look back and you say i was not a christian at the time so what uh changed that for you at what point did you finally decide you know what um i'm making that commitment to christ and what what uh was the stimulus for that well i was driven to be a success that was very important to me professionally and mm. Yeah, but I ended up very frustrated. I left JPL because success was no way to get ahead working for the government. And um, my family came apart, and uh, I ended up alone with five kids. And still no no purpose in life and no meaning in life. Now, how old were you when that happened? I was in the mid-30s. Okay. And so I started dating a lady who had been my secretary at Electro-Optical Systems, who led a life of real peace. There was just something different about her life that attracted me. And as I had dinner with her and talked, I found out she was one of these strange creatures called a Christian. <laughs> but she didn't talk to me about religion. Huh. She talked to me about a relationship yeah. with the God of the universe that I clearly believed in. 
And so at that point, I decided probably I had to take a look at this book, the Bible. There was one in our church. It was up in front. Somebody read from it on Sunday, which was a good thing to do. Yeah. But I, I, when I got into that book, I met a personality, and the personality was named Jesus. And wow. so I was really surprised to find out how many Bible verses I knew, because I was busy and I sang in the church choir, and I didn't realize it, but a lot of what we were singing was Bible verses. Yeah. So I had a lot of the Bible in my head already, and so as I began to study it and, and try and find meaning in life, um, it all happened one day. Uh, I was in my car on the 210 freeway. I had a little electronics plant that was losing money like crazy, but I went to go look at red ink on the books again, and I just suddenly felt the overwhelming presence of Jesus in that car with me. Wow. And I said, Lord, if you want me, I want you. And Beverly and I had a date that night to go down to Anaheim Stadium. I didn't want to go to hear a preacher, Dr. Billy Graham. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't tell her what had happened to me in the car, but when he got to the end of his message, I was on my feet, headed down to the infield, and she's hanging onto my hand so we didn't get separated. <laughs> and I made a public declaration that day that my life had been changed and that for all of eternity I would be a child of God knowing Jesus. Wow, praise God. That's amazing. What a powerful testimony. And what's interesting is that you are somebody who is obviously very heavy into science and everything. And, you know, as somebody who uh, embraces science and everything, do you feel, or when you were growing up, did you see a conflict between faith in God and the Bible and science? And what's the path been like for you in that regard? Like, I, th- I believe you you accepted evolution prior to this. Is that correct? Yes, certainly. Yes. So how did that transition take place, and how did that affect you when you were thinking to yourself, well, I, I believe in God, I'm committing my life to Christ, but I also believe in evolution. Was that even an issue in your mind at the time? Not at the time, but then as I got to thinking about it and, and learning more about true science, then I pretty soon had to come to the conclusion that evolution was ridiculous. Mm. one of the greatest fables ever perpetrated on an intelligent man. Mm. And why? What? Why is your, scientifically, why is that your conclusion? What What evidence uh, would you give to somebody to say, you know, this is preposterous? Well, just the impossibility of a human body being formed from an ape. Yeah. It's not a redesign. It's a total new design. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I try and cover in the new book is. Now, that's the book you're redoing. You're you're redoing, um, let's see, The Universe, A Surprising Cosmological Accident. And are you retitling the book also? Or Yeah, yeah yes. you are. Okay. Yes. And when do you expect that book to come out? Probably a couple months. Oh, fantastic. That's very exciting. CMI is going to publish it. Okay, so if somebody wants to pick up a copy of that book, CMI is uh, Creation Ministries International. Their website is creation.com, and uh, they are in- an incredible resource. I use them all the time. I love their, their site. And uh, Okay, so, so that's great. And do you know the title, the, the new title? new title is Spacecraft Earth, A Guide for Passengers. That's great. I love the title, too. Um, now, there, there are still a lot of people that are looking for uh, aliens out there. 
when you were, you know, starting this program and you got that Explorer one up in space, um, was that on your mind at all? Were people talking about maybe we're going to find aliens or anything like that? Not at that point. No, it wasn't. It wasn't an issue. But still today, people, I know the government in the 1970s, I believe, started SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Yes. And they've been looking for aliens for a long time. But but you don't think they're going to find anything? No, but uh, CMI has an interesting new movie coming out. They, uh, Gary wrote a book, Alien Intrusion. Yes, Dr. Gary Bates. And that's been made into a movie now. And I'm in it. Oh, that's great. He came out and interviewed me about interstellar travel, which which is just not in the cards. The amount of energy that it would take to get my body up toward the speed of light is equivalent to many thousand atomic bombs. Okay. <laughs> okay, so uh, we don't want to disappoint any of our listeners, um, uh, but it doesn't look like interstellar travel is going to be happening. We're just going to have to stick with the movies, I guess. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> my, my guest today is Dr. Henry Richter, and uh, he was... Now, you, you led the team that got Explorer 1 up there. Is that correct? Yes, I was project manager for the, for the satellite. Now, how many people were on that team? Well, for the satellite team, probably 10. Okay. For the rocket team, hundreds. Okay. And there were two teams, the Huntsville team under Von Braun, which did the Redstone rocket, which was the big stage one. At JPL, we did the high-speed stages, solid rockets that gave it the extra velocity to achieve orbit. So the two teams worked very well together. That's fantastic. Now, were there um, a lot of Christians on those teams, too? Were there a lot of believers? or Not that I know of. No, and okay. I wasn't aware of the difference at that point. Yeah, it wasn't something you were paying attention to. No. Okay. Um, now, then you, you also were involved in um, the first— uh, satellite to land on the moon. Is that right? Yes. And so uh, what are the differences in the challenges between getting something to space and then landing something on the moon? That's got to be an incredible uh, uh, amount of new problems you have to solve. That's right. And uh, I- I'm going to let you answer that question. As soon as we come back, we're coming up on a break here, but my guest today is Dr. Henry Richter. He is approaching his 90th birthday and he was involved. Uh, he was the lead, um, manager for getting explorer one the very first satellite in space the u.s satellite in space uh up there and we're talking with him because uh we are coming up on the 60th anniversary of explorer one so stay with us we're going to be right back before i bring my need i will bring my heart hi this is kevin conover will you please donate to educate for life so we can share the truth of god's word with kids in public schools you can donate online at donate to efl.org the bible used to be read in public schools on a regular basis prior to the 1960s but today most kids are completely clueless when it comes to the content and the historical and scientific accuracy of the bible please help us by donating online at donate to efl.org Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. 
teachings. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. Hi, I'm Marissa Conover, and I would love to help you buy or sell your home. I've worked as a realtor for more than 13 years, and as a San Diego native, my passion and experience will help make your move as peaceful as can be. Call me at 619-251-1577. That's 619-251-1577. Or visit conoverhomes.com. This is Throughout All Ages Ministry with Joe and Stacy. We would like to equip you to share the gospel with confidence in a biblical and effective way. We would like to teach you through the proclamation of the gospel. Whether you're the skeptic, God who created you said that he has made himself known to you so that you are without excuse. One-on-one evangelism. How do you think you can get to heaven? I've never really thought about it, but I've always just thought of, you know, doing good. For more information, go to throughoutallages.com, like us on Facebook, or visit us at YouTube at Throughout All Ages. I'm Thanks for tuning in to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website's educateforlife.org. You can pick up a recording of this show, as well as many other shows. I, uh, not too long ago, had Dr. James Tor on the show. He is an organic synthetic, synthetic chemist, uh, ranked as one of the top 50 scientists in the world. And um, he is adamantly uh, holds the position that evolution does not work. It just there's no evidence on a organic or, or on a, a chemistry level that you can justify the theory of evolution. And my guest today uh, is of the same mind, uh, Dr. Henry Richter, uh, with tons of experience. Um, he is almost 90 years old, is still taking science classes and uh, learning, which is an inspiration to me, as I'm sure many other people. Uh, Dr. Richter. When you became a Christian and you start thinking about these issues, um, now these issues of evolution, of where we came from, they all come to the forefront. You're reading Genesis. You have to make sense of how Genesis fits with science. And um, I'm sure people are asking you questions, as they still do. Part of the reason I have you on the show today is um, how do science and our faith in the Bible go together? Do you find any conflicts in those? And especially there's the debate, even in the church today, over the age of the earth and how old is the universe? How old is the earth? Um, and these sorts of things. And um, can you tell us your, tell our listeners your position on that and then why you arrived, how you arrived at that conclusion and why? Well, as I began to get more involved in the Christian community, I came across a gentleman, Dr. Henry Morris, at the Institute for Creation Research. And they published a monograph called the... Um, Origin and Future of the Earth's Magnetic Field, which really totally changed my thinking. Mm. And the the sense of this book is that over the last 150 years, measurements have been made of the strength of the Earth's magnetic field, some pretty accurate. And over the past 100 years, they've found that the Earth's field has decreased 5% worldwide. Now, that's, that's a huge energy change. Yeah. And, and and the magnetic field is what, uh, you know, when you're looking at a compass or whatever, it's w- what drives the compass, right? That's right. And many animals are able to use the magnetic field for navigation. That's so interesting, yeah. So, now, do, as far as space exploration and launching a satellite and, or, or getting a rocket, a satellite on the moon, or whatever the case, what um, does the magnetic field have? Do you have to take that into account? No. No, no. Okay, that has no bearing on that. No, you're out of the field so fast that 
just has no impact. That's right. Okay. What what would happen to the Earth if we had no magnetic field at all? We would be bombarded by damaging radiation, which would wipe out life. So magnetic field is a very important attribute of any body that would harbor life. Okay. But let me let me talk about the, the book just a little more. Sure. If the field decreased 5%, the question is, where did the field come from? And there's only three possible sources of the field. One, there's an electric uh, magnetic dipole inside the Earth, an actual magnet. But we know the center of the Earth is very hot. Mm. Magnetism does not exist, at least in the laboratory, above several hundred degrees centigrade. So that, Just because it gets melted down. That's right. It yeah. gets ruled, that rules out quickly. Okay. Or maybe there's a big dynamo there, but where's the motor that turns it? Mm. The third is that there are just residual electric currents in the subsurface of the Earth that were been there ever since the Earth was created. And if you do some calculations, measuring what's called the resistivity of the rocks, resistance slows current down, and the inductance, which keeps current going, you find out that you expect a decay of about 5% every 100 years. Hmm. And so if the field has been decaying 5% every 100 years for several thousand years, it's like compound interest in a savings account. You go back a few hundred years, and it builds up pretty fast. You go back a few thousand years, and it becomes huge. You go back 10,000, well, the field is half a gauss now on the surface surface of the earth so essentially you're saying you go back a certain amount of time and the field's too big too big yeah be so big the earth would be unstable at fifteen thousand years ago so in in what sense like if so if you had this magnetic field that was as big as you're you're talking about what would be what would be the impact on the earth and life and so forth how, how would it impact it well the force would be so strong and start coming apart the rocks would come apart okay they just just rip everything apart yes so you're, when you when you examine that that evidence for you that was compelling evidence that there's no way the Earth can be as old as people are saying. That's correct. Now, what if somebody were to say, "Well, maybe it's it hasn't always been at five percent. Maybe it's been decreasing, you know, slower than that, or something like that." Well, all I can do is say what we've measured. Okay, so from mm-hmm. a scientific perspective, this is what's been observed. That's right, okay. and it may not always be five percent, but it's certainly going to decay o- over time because. Nothing keeps going forever. They, yeah, uh, they haven't made a perpetual motion machine exactly. or something that that can. Uh, we we have to deal with uh, the laws of physics, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so, for you at that point in time, were you? What happened? You just you you looked at that. You said, you know what, this makes sense, and yeah, that's right. And click, and just all fell into place. That's right. So, and it's like writing a book. If the Earth was created. It doesn't have to start from zero. When an author writes a book about a person, that person already exists, and the house exists that he lives in, and it was all just created at one time. So yeah, the Earth could be created the way it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't. We we don't have to have. A, I mean, Adam and Eve were full grown; they weren't babies that That's had right. to grow up, right? So that makes a lot of sense. Oh. Uh, and then, uh, is there anything else from a space or your studies that you've? Uh, come upon where you, you've said, well, this here also gives evidence that the biblical account is true. Anything that strongly um, comes to mind that well, really... Well, the next thing that comes to mind is if you look at the earth, the way it's built, the resources it has, and the physical laws that, that maintain it, 
it, it's all the way it is to allow human life to exist on this earth. And there's so many things, if they weren't there, yeah, human life would not exist. And so that sort of leads to this strong desire of the scientific community to prove we're not alone in the universe. And Yeah, that makes sense. There's a strong uh, movement to try and find other protoplanets where life could exist. And uh, in my book, I've listed about 20 things, all of which are necessary to allow life to exist. And the, all 20 of those are very unlikely to occur by themselves. Mm. And so if you look at the mathematics of whether or not all of these exist, it pretty soon rules out life elsewhere in the universe. So so you're saying that essentially, um, you know, people are, people are driven, or science, a big part of science is driven today by the desire to go, um, we are we are not alone in the universe because, because we're a product of chance. Yes. And so naturally, if we're a product of chance and we got lucky enough to be able to come alive, there should be other, in this huge universe, there should be others that are also lucky enough to come exactly. into existence. Exactly. We're not the only ones that get to win the lottery, essentially. Exactly. But what you're saying now is from the evidence uh, that the, the, the chances are just so outlandish, it's just not going to happen. That's right. Okay. So uh, my guest today is Dr. Henry Richter. Um, he is, uh, the, was the lead supervisor for Explorer One, launched on January 31st, 1958, uh, was a part of JPL and NASA, and uh, ultimately met Christ and became a Bible-believing Christian today and um, uses his science and what he knows uh, to help others come to know uh, the God that created the universe and ultimately to have a personal relationship with him. When we come back, we're going to talk about a few more reasons why he believes, and the book he's recent he's he's writing right now uh, on why uh, the Earth is so specifically designed for life on on our planet. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. This is Throughout All Ages Ministry with Joe and Stacy. We would like to equip you to share the gospel with confidence in a biblical and effective way. We would like to teach you through the proclamation of the gospel. Whether you're the skeptic, God who created you said that he has made himself known to you so that you are without excuse. One-on-one evangelism. How do you think you can get to heaven? I've never really thought about it, but I've always thought of, you know, doing good. For more information, go to throughoutallages.com, like us on Facebook, or visit us at YouTube at Throughout All Ages. When you need tires or service, count on Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside for a full range of affordable options in all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers online. Hours Tuesday through Friday, 7.30 to 5.30, and Saturdays, 7.30 to 5. Call Dan and his team at 760-439-1631. 
Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard in Oceanside, 760-439-1631. Do you have one-button espresso machines in your home or business? They make delicious coffee drinks, but they're not maintenance-free. Express Fix Coffee is San Diego's source for coffee and espresso machine repair, sales, and service. Call Dave Martin at Express Fix Coffee for new and used espresso machines, repairs, parts, and accessories. They'll save you time and money. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. Learn more at expressfixcoffee.com. There's got to be more. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. Uh, please check out my website, and uh, you can also visit me on Facebook. I love to have people's comments and feedback about uh, the guests that I've had on the show. Uh, recently had on uh, Dr. Doug Petrovich, who found Egyptian hieroglyphics that talk about Moses, uh, that talk about Jacob, uh, and even has what looks like a, a type of diary from one of Joseph's sons, Manasseh. And this, again, is just more evidence that the Bible is not a mythical fairy tale. It's real history recorded by real people who had a real relationship and interaction with the God of the universe. And my guest today uh, met Jesus Christ when he was 40, uh, was very uh, successful, uh, but ultimately uh, wasn't satisfied with where he was at and uh, met Christ in a, a supernatural experience and now has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Dr. Henry Richter, he's approaching his 90th birthday uh, here in June 2017 and still going strong. Dr. Richter, uh, the book that you're retitling, uh, Space, Spacecraft Earth, um, what, every, what is it? What Every Traveler Needs to Know? A Guide for Passengers. A Guide for Passengers. I like that. Um, so you have in that book, uh, you have 20 different reasons or, or uh, criteria in order to have life on a planet. Is yes. that right? Yes. So, so Back, give us some, some more of those. Yeah. Backing up a little bit. Yeah. Astronomers know that there are close to one billion galaxies now. And each galaxy has one billion stars. Goodness. And so if you add that up, that comes to 10 to the 22nd stars. That's <laughs> so, one, one with 22 zeros after it. So well, how do they how do they come to that those numbers? How do they get get those numbers? Well, just by observing. Okay, so they just look out there with a Hubble telescope or whatever, and and, and start counting and, and start counting. <laughs> what a job! So. Now, can they see when you see to the end of the universe? Right, I've, I'm told it's 28 billion light years across. Is that correct? Well, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. So when they get to the end, does that just mean that's that's what they can observe or? Or is there more beyond that? Well, that's all I can observe. So, And they found quite a bit new stuff that they didn't know about before further out. So, but okay. 10 to the 22nd stars is more stars than there are grains of sand on the Earth. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's, that's... That's a whole lot. That's a lot. <laughs> so if you now look at the Earth, what allows life to exist? One of the first things is attached to a stable star. Mm. So we're attached to a G2 star, and of the 10 to the 22nd stars that exist, maybe one in 10,000 is a G2 star. So so tell our, well, tell me too, but tell our listeners, what exactly is, how does a G2 star differ from, say, another star? What makes it stable? It's, 
its luminous is luminescence is pretty stable. It it doesn't flare up and, and mm. die down. Okay, because no. we we would die if there were all these flares. That's right. Yeah. Well, many stars are variable stars, and they some of them explode. Yeah. And attached to a stable star with a within what's called a habitable habitable radius. So that means you're far enough from the star that you have the right temperature balance. Mm. It's got to be a circular orbit so it doesn't get hot and cold and hot and Instead cold. Instead of an elliptical orbit. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Because your seasons would be too extreme and you'd... you'd that's uh, right. Okay. And the the planet must have a rotation rate so the heat gets distributed about right. 24 hours is great. A one-hour rotation rate would give you hot and cold every hour. The rotation rate of once a month would be too slow, so it, part of the Earth would freeze or get too hot. So 24 hours is just about right. Uh, that's very interesting. The body must have an atmosphere. It must be an oxidizing atmosphere to allow metab- metabolism in, in uh, bodies. Mm. Uh, an ocean, water is very important, and it's got to be Clean, pure water. Um, a moon is very important. The fact that we have a moon the size we have, the distance we have is extremely important because as the moon rotates around the earth, it causes tides in the ocean and the and the surface. And the tides are very important to oxygenate the ocean so life can exist there. So to keep it from getting stagnant, keep, yes. keep everything mixed up together. Yep. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And that's just a few of the factors right there. I mentioned a magnetic field earlier, which is important to keep harmful radiation away from the Earth. I might just mention that my little Explorer 1 satellite discovered the Van Allen radiation belts. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. So, now, they weren't expecting that at all. Had no clue that there was anything like that. Now, can you tell, uh, tell us what is the, the radiation belts? Can you explain that exactly? The radiation belts are bands of... High-intensity protons and electrons that circle the Earth, they're captured by the Earth's magnetic field. And so they they slide up and down the magnetic lines, which makes some of the aurora northern lights as they hit the Earth. Oh, wow. So most of the radiation, though, is repelled by the magnetic fields. It's trapped in the magnetic field, so it doesn't reach the surface of the Earth. Okay. And that's just the, that basically uh, we're talking about like we'd have incredible amounts of skin cancer and so forth. That's right. We wouldn't be able to survive. You'd get a really bad sunburn all the time. That's right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Huh. And so, so what you're looking at is you add all these factors up and the chances are, so, so wouldn't somebody say, you know, a skeptic might say, well, look, the universe is big enough that despite all these factors, the reality is, is uh, we have more rolls of the dice and so we're, we're eventually going to get this, uh, despite what, what Dr. Richter says. Well, I list a bunch of these and say, supposing there's only a 10% chance that there's an ocean, 10% chance that there's a magnetic field, 10% chance that there's an oxidizing atmosphere. By the time you get to about 20, 10%, you've got a very, very slim uh, probability of, of all 20 of them occurring. And so if you say maybe there's the possibility of 10 to the 17th planets, going back to the mathematics, yeah, and all of these 10%, that's 
that eats up the 10 to the 17th pretty fast. You get down to less than zero. So what you're saying is the science is pretty much proving that you can't escape the conclusion that we were created and designed by That's God. right. And the other part of it is, supposing you have everything just right, mm-hmm. how did the first living cell occur? Yeah, I mean, it what just... What kick-started it? Yeah. How, how did all of those amino acids in the, come together in the right sequence to make a nucleus for the cell, to make a membrane for the cell? Yeah. Uh, it seems like, to me, I mean, uh, that anybody would look at this and go, yeah, that's right. Are people not coming to this conclusion just because they're so busy with their life and their jobs that they just don't have time to focus on it? Or do you think they're looking at it and going, yeah, but that doesn't really have any relevance to me? I mean, they don't like the conclusion that yeah. <laughs> that they have to admit that there is a God that's in charge. Yeah. So would you say that that's where you were at? You didn't want to have to admit that God was in charge and before you became a Christian? Well, I believe that God was in charge, but being in charge and being interested in me are two different things. Mm. So you you were of the mind that you didn't feel God was actually interested in you. That's right. Okay. So what would you say to somebody who's listening and says, yeah, I don't really feel like God's interested in me. It's nice what you're saying, and sure, God's real. What would you say to what? what how would you counsel them? I'd say back up and really think about it. And probably the most important thing is to, to read what God tells us in, in the Bible. Yeah. And just and place your trust in the word words of Jesus That's and so right. forth. My guest today is Dr. Henry Richter. We're going to be right back. We have one segment left. And uh, he's just got an amazing story and testimony of, of all that he's uh, accomplished and uh, still accomplishing, coming out with a new book here real right around the corner. So stay with us. We're going to be right back. For 36 years, Fast Lane Kayaking has helped people like you experience everything that's great about San Diego. Fast Lane makes fishing and water sports fun and easy. Hobie Cat kayaks feature a popular pedal system, not paddles, keeping your hands free as you fish. You no longer need to tow and gas up a boat to experience great San Diego fishing. Call or come in for your no-charge demo ride, 619-222-0766, fastlanesailing.com. At Dana Landing Arena across from SeaWorld, 619-222-0766. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teachings. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. Hi, I'm Marissa Conover, and I would love to help you buy or sell your home. I've worked as a realtor for more than 13 years, and as a San Diego native, my passion and experience will help make your move as peaceful as can be. Call me at 619-251-1577. That's 619-251-1577. Or visit Conover homes.com I will cast my cares on you Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host Kevin Conover. My website's educateforlife.org and uh, I have published homeschool curriculum. It's Bible homeschool curriculum. The focus is on answering all the different questions people have about God in the Bible. For example, 
how do we know that God wrote the Bible or inspired the people who wrote the Bible? Why are there some books in the Bible and other books not in the Bible? How do I know creation's true and evolution's not tr- true? How do I know the Bible's not been changed? What about the issue of homosexuality? How do I deal with that? And why does the Bible say it's wrong? All these different questions that come up uh, in our culture today because we have an onslaught of skepticism. Um, but the Bible has been uh, tried and tested for 2,000 years, and it's come out shining every single time. Uh, there has been no book more attacked than the Bible, but there has been no book that has changed more lives than the Bible. So uh, put your hope in God's Word. You can't make a better decision than to do that. And my guest today is Dr. Henry Richter, uh, and he, he would agree for sure. And he uh, was involved and the lead, uh, really, uh, lead manager for launching Explorer One uh, way back in 1958. And uh, he wrote a book, America's Leap into Space. My time at JPL and the first Explorer satellites and uh, incredible amount of history. You can learn about what was happening at the time. And Dr. Richter, can you uh, speak to that? You told me um, off the air that there was a, in the book, you have a Russian track, German track, American track, and then the Henry track yeah. uh, kind of break those down for us. Well, I started writing the book a long time ago. And in fact, I started writing it when I was at JPL, but it fell by the wayside. Yeah. We had the 50th anniversary of Explorer 1 in 2008. And at that point, I told uh, Eric Conway, the JPL historian, I said, Eric, I think I'll write a book about Explorer. And he said, and this is a terrible thing for a historian to say, why would you do that? Yeah. (laughs) And I said, because I was there. And he says, oh, okay. That changes everything. So I went ahead and wrote it and um, didn't want to write an autobiography, so I decided on four tracks, the which all lead to the start of the space program. The Russian track, the German track, the American track, and the Henry track. So and give just, us a breakdown of, of each of those tracks. What was the involvement there? What was going well, on? Well, the Russians were really the first to ever do anything in the way of space. Back in the 1880s, Tsiolkovsky came up with the mathematics as to how to get into orbit and how to build a rocket and to get there. That's and, interesting. And then... The Germans came along, and they really did it. Von Braun with the V-2 rocket, bombarding London with over 5,000 rockets. A real terror weapon. Yeah. The American program with first Goddard, and then JPL. And then my history, what led me into getting to JPL and giving me some of the experience and talents to to be able to do the design of Explorer. So give us some of the background, some, some of the stuff in the book as to what was happening politically and so forth that most people aren't aware of, uh, that maybe even yourself you weren't aware of until you did the research mm-hmm. on this. Well, the program started in 1955 when I ended up at JPL with a program called the International Geophysical Year with 62 nations coming together during an 18-month period of solar maximum uh-huh. in 1958 and 59. Scientists have been busy launching rockets that would go up a few hundred kilometers, make some measurements, and fall back to the Earth. But it appeared technologically possible because we now had larger rockets to launch a rocket that would not come back, called an Earth satellite. So two nations, the United States and Russia, both announced they would attempt to launch Earth satellites during the IGY to make scientific measurements. Now, were people afraid, um, you know, of what Russia was doing? I mean, they weren't exactly our our friend. Were people afraid that 
you know, they were going to beat us out and then what, take us over or something? Well, this was during the height of the Cold War, yeah. of course. Yeah. Eisenhower was quite concerned about weapons in orbit. And so, but we knew nothing about what the Russians were doing. They just said they were going to launch a satellite and disappeared. Now you guys had to, you guys moved really quick. I, the, the, what I read up on was that in 90 days, you had a response to uh, what they had done. Is that correct? That's not correct. No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> it took us three years to build Explorer. Okay. But the government decided they'd have a satellite program. They asked the armed forces for proposals to do it. The Army, we were part of the Army then under Redstone Arsenal and Werner von Braun. Yeah. Gave a proposal. The Navy gave a proposal. They won. We were very disappointed, but we went on secretly on our own to develop a satellite. And then when Sputnik went up, and then shortly afterwards, the Navy Vanguard program got pushed into a first premature launch the rocket blew up on the pad and live national TV. Yikes. So then the country sort of came came unglued. They called like it. You guys were all all sitting there ready to go. We were ready to go and beating on their door. And General Madaris actually had three Redstone rockets in storage, hoping that something like this would come along. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and so we got to go ahead. We were given 90 days in which to launch. Oh, that's the 90 days that I was reading up on. That's right. So in the 90 days, I went out and found some science, namely Van Allen, recommended that Van Allen's Geiger counter go in the first satellite, brought one of his graduate students to JPL to integrate the instrument into the satellite. We launched it. It was successful. Discovered some radiation, which took us months to understand because we thought we had an instrument failure at first. Yeah, because a Geiger counter would just stop working and then come back and stop and come back. And finally, Van Allen realized it stopped during certain portions of the orbit and did some tests and found out the Geiger counters would saturate at, at a certain level of radiation. And uh, one of his graduate students pinned a note to his door one night saying, space is radioactive. <laughs> yeah. Now everybody's probably afraid to go out in space because there's so much radiation. Well, that is, that's a hazard. Yeah. So you have to make sure the space station stays away from it. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. So, huh. So uh, what else in here? What Give us some other tips. What are some of the most exciting uh, points in your life when you were, you know, going out into, you know, doing this kind of stuff, launching these satellites and all? What, what for you are some of the most memorable events? Well, I got sent to Russia to report on the satellite. They had a meeting of the IGY in Moscow, and uh, I wrote a paper on the Explorer, and uh, they sent me there to give it, which I didn't know Russian, but I decided to learn Russian in two weeks and gave the paper in Russian. I had a translator at JPL that translated it because I didn't know Russian. Yeah. (laughs) But I did give the paper in Russian and got a standing ovation and— Wow, that's fantastic. Oh. Huh, very cool. Well, um, if you didn't get to hear this whole show, uh, please feel free to look it up on iTunes or um, on YouTube. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Henry Richter. He's here in studio and uh, now lives here in Southern California. Um, and how many, uh, how many kids and grandkids and uh, great-grandkids do you have, Dr. Richter? Well, between my wife and I, we had eight children, Two of whom are deceased now, two sons. 
11 grandchildren, 13 great-grandchildren, and three great-great-grandchildren. Wow. <laughs> Are any of them here in San Diego? No. No, they're all spread out all over the place. Well, huh? the nearest is a, my oldest daughter in Irvine. Okay. Very good. Very good. And what what do you like to do for fun? What do you do for a hobby? Well, ham radio, which is sort of how I got into science. But Yeah, that's yeah. great. Okay, and you're still going to school and writing a book, so you're keeping very busy. Well, uh, I just want to thank you so much for being on the radio with us today. It's been a big blessing. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, if you want to buy his book that's coming out, the book that's coming out is Spacecraft Earth, A Guide for Passengers. And uh, he's working on that with uh, David Copedge, who also worked for JPL. And uh, you can buy that at creation.com, and that'll be published in a couple of months. So uh, I hope you enjoy the show today. We'll be back again next week, uh, and we're going to have some more. We have Esther Valdez going to be on the show. She's a uh, Latino who is uh, an immigration attorney. We're going to be talking about what's happening with the Trump administration and immigration, and uh, very interesting stuff. So glad you could be here. I hope you have a fantastic Saturday. Uh, give your life to God if you haven't already. Okay, God bless you. Bye-bye. Did you miss part of today's program? Don't worry, we're committed to helping you get the info you need. Okay, that was dumb. But for real, visit educateforlife.com for podcasts and video recordings of the show and to sign up for the School of Unshakable Faith. Leave us your comments, compliments, questions, or concerns at 800-243-9719 or email kevcon at educateforlife.com. That's K-E-V-C-O-N at educateforlife.com. You will always be much more to me Every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right But that's all